일어나서 찬양 드리실까요? Can you all stand and praise together? 찬양 중에 찬양 중에 눈을 들어주네 주를 보내 주를 보내 아멘 소망 중에 나바라네 주님을 볼때 주님을 볼때 나에게 힘주시네 주님 안에 모든 두려움 사라져 사라져 
worship today. Let's pray that God will guide us and lead us in this place today. And let's pray that, let's pray for Pastor Christopher to speak God's words only and use him to glorify God. 지금 이 시간 기도하실 때다 같이 예배를 놓고 기도했으면 좋겠는데요. 오늘 예배 가운데 주님께서 인도해 주시고 우리를 만나 주시려고 아버지 정말 주님께 고백하는 심정으로 다 같이 기도하시겠습니다. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for delivering us from our sins. As we have com- committed to you at this time, Lord, please help us to surrender all to you. And may our lives bring you glory and help us to lift you up and praise God. 사랑하는 하나님 감사합니다. 우리의 왕 되시고 이 세상의 주인 되신 주님. 우리를 죄로부터 우리들의 죄로부터 구원해 주셔서 감사합니다. 지금 이 시간 우리가 고백한 것처럼 주님께 모든 것을 맡겨드리오니 나의 삶 붙들어주시고 오직 주님만을 경배하도록 도와주세요 예수님의 이름으로 기도드립니다 아멘 You may be seated, 앉으시기 바랍니다 Welcome to Vision Worship, 비전 예배에 나오신 여러분들 주님의 이름으로 환영합니다 우리 옆에 있는 분들에게 한번 서로 인사할 때 서로 오늘 은혜 많이 받으세요 한번 인사하시기 바랍니다 오늘 은혜 많이 받으세요 God is good all the time. God is good. God is good. Our God is good. 우리 하나님은 선하신 분이십니다. 믿으십니까? 예, 오늘 하나님께서 저에게 귀하고 복된 날을 허락해 주셨습니다. God has uh, blessed us with special guest this morning. 오늘 어, 새로 특별한 강사들을 하나님께서 보내주셨는데 이분들에게 충분한 시간을 드리기 위해서 어, 저는 잠시 소개하고 어, 빨리 물러가겠습니다. 아, 우리 크리스 유안 또 어머니 되시는 엔젤라 리 어, 유안 또 아버님 되시는 리안 유안 어, 부모님과 아드님이 함께 오셔서 함께 말씀을 나누고 그 다음에 아드님이 받으셔서 말씀을 어, 어, 나누고 나누도록 하겠습니다. 미스터 크리스 유안 and her His mother, Angela Leon, and father, Leon Yuan, will come up to the stage and share their uh, God-given blessings to all of us. And then Chris Yuan will take over and share the rest of the message. Let's welcome uh, Yuan family. 우리 Yuan family, 큰 박수로 환영해 주시기 바랍니다. <laughs> Where money grows on trees. <laughs> Let's try one more time. <laughs> America. 
where money grows on trees, and streets are lined with gold. Well, at least that's what I perceived when I first passed through Ellis Island of New York City on October 30th, 1964. I quickly realized how wrong I was. The first night I stayed at my friend's rundown apartment in the slum of Harlem. And even more surprising was the day after, October 30th, night October 31st, when little people wear masks, ring doorbell, and say trick or treat. I said to myself, what have I got myself into? Angela, my college sweetheart, came a few months later, and we married the next year. I also assumed just because we were in love, we would simply live happily ever after. How naive I was. <laughs> we were not Christian then. After years of unresolved issue in self-centered living, our marriage was a disaster. So with encouragement from both of our sons, we began the paperwork for a divorce after 28 years of marriage. In the same year, on May 15, 1993, our son Christopher came home after his first year at University of Louisville, then to school. He made an announcement, I am gay. Since our marriage relationship was hopeless, I did not work as a team with my wife to face this enormous challenge. Not only did I not comfort her, but I also accused her making our son gay. Christopher's declaration affirmed my belief that we should all go our separate ways. Let him be, because there's nothing I can do about it. Besides, isn't it more important to be happy? But my wife responded quite differently. You will never think that three simple words, I am gay, could cause so much pain. I actually thought I could threaten Christopher with an ultimatum to choose the family or choose homosexuality. But Christopher already bought into the lie that he couldn't change, that he was born gay. So he said, if you cannot accept me, I have no other choice but to leave. Without any hesitation, Christopher picked up his bags and left. Nothing can describe how I felt at that moment. It was worse than receiving news of Christopher's death. He could have come me with a knife, and it would have hurt less. In my mind, Christopher, who was closest to me, and my last ray of hope had also betrayed me. I was at the end of my rope as my world fell apart around me. I had no more reason to live, so I determined to do the unthinkable. I was going to end my life. Even though I was not a Christian at that time, I felt the need to meet with a minister who gave me a pamphlet on homosexuality. Then I left home 
I bought a one-way Amtrak ticket to Louisville, where I planned to say goodbye to Christopher for the last time before ending it all. With only my purse and the pamphlet from the minister, I bought on the train thinking that death was the only answer to all my problems. Never being much of a reader, on the train, I began to read that pamphlet, which explained the plan of salvation, that all of us are sinners. Yet God loves us in spite of our sin. God opened the eyes of my heart. Then I realized that just as God loves me, I could love Christopher in spite of him living as a gay man. After arriving Louisville, I caught a number from the back of the pamphlet and was connect me to a Christian lady who began to disciple me. For six weeks, I immersed myself into the Bible and felt as if I couldn't soak up enough. You see, I went to Louisville expecting to end my life. In reality, I did. One of my favorite verses today is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. After six weeks, I got a phone call from the lady who was discipling Angela. She was very excited, told me that your wife has surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. She has been saved. I was not very pleased. I told her this is not a good news. Uh, Because from now on, she has got on her side. But what I realized that her transformation was not a Sunday-only change, but affected every day of the week. She, what Angela had was not religion, but an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Little did I know God was also working on me, so I started going to church with her, and a friend of ours invited us to a Bible study called the BSF, Bible Study Fellowship. We would grow deeper into the understanding of love and the love for God and His Word. God became the glue to keep our marriage together by drawing both of us to Himself. This was God's way of preparing us for the difficult years ahead as our son Christopher headed deeper and deeper into the world of homosexuality. For my childhood years, I did what most Chinese-American kids did. Obey your parents, do well in school, and of course, practice piano. You see, I didn't fit in with the other American boys because I looked different, I acted different, and I had different interests. God had given me the gifts of music, of sensitivity, And Satan cannot take away those God-given gifts, but he can twist the perception of them. And from a young age, I was viewed and ridiculed as being effeminate. The first time I remember having these attractions was when I was nine years old, after I came across pornography at a friend's house. And at that young age, I was confused and afraid of those feelings. Without any parental guidance on sexuality, those magazines gave me a distorted view of sex, and they soon became my master. So with pornography fueling my attractions, I had my first 
sexual encounter when I was 16 years old, but I kept my feelings hidden through high school, college, even the Marine Corps reserves. In my early 20s, I started secretly going out to the gay clubs, and then when I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, I no longer kept it a secret, and I came out of the closet, and I began living openly as a gay man. I spent most of my free time in the gay clubs, and I went from relationship to relationship, seeking intimacy and happiness, which I found temporarily, but it only left me feeling unfulfilled and unsatisfied, so I began experimenting with drugs. But I was a dental student, and I didn't have much money as a dental student, so I supported my habit by selling drugs, and I sold to friends, classmates, even a professor. See, I actually thought I could live this double life of being a graduate student by day and a promiscuous drug dealer by night. But three months before I was to receive my doctorate, the administration expelled me. So my parents flew from Chicago to Louisville, Kentucky, and I thought they were going to fight to keep me in school. My dad is a dentist, and he knew the dean really well. And besides, isn't that what any good Asian parent should do anyway? Well, to my surprise, as we sat there in the dean's office, my mother looked at the dean and said, it's not important that Christopher becomes a dentist. What's more important is that Christopher becomes a Christ follower. And they said that they're going to support whatever decision the school made. Well, can I just tell you, I was not happy about that decision. They were not on my side. They were on the school side. So I moved further away from them, further away from Chicago to the bright lights in big city of Atlanta, Georgia. And there I quickly took over the drug scene in the gay community. I became a supplier to other dealers in over a dozen states. In addition, it was nothing for me to have multiple anonymous sexual encounters each and every day. Because according to the world, I had it all. Money, fame, drugs, and sex. I had exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And I began worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. Because in my world, I had become God. Liani and I had no idea that Christopher was doing drugs. But we knew his biggest need was to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So I sent him Christian cards several times a week. And I felt that with the encouraging words, scripture, and hymns. At the bottom of each card, I sign, Love you forever, Mom. But little did I know he never read them and simply tossed them into the trash. My wife and I knew the only way to see our son if we flew to Atlanta, so we did. But on the second day, he kicked us out, not even allow us to call our friend to pick us up. Before leaving, I want to leave with my son something I precious. That was my very first Bible. Uh, not surprisingly, he refused. But I left on his counter anyway and walked out the door. We found out as soon as we walked out the door... He took my Bible and threw it into the trash. It was more than obvious that he was totally unreachable and completely hopeless. But my wife and I committed not to focus on the hopelessness, but on the promises of God. 
So my wife started to pray a very bold and dangerous prayer. Lord, do whatever it takes to bring this prodigal son to you. In her desperation, she fasted every Monday for eight years. Once fasted 39 days for our son. Literally, every morning, she was spent in her prayer closet, on her knees, reading her Bible, interceding for Christopher, and praying for herself and for me and many others. She wrote down many of her prayers. The following is one of those prayers. I was staying in the gap for Christopher. I will stand until the victory is won, until Christopher's heart changes. I will stand in the gap every day, and there I will fervently pray. And Lord, just one favor, don't let me waver. If things get quite rough, which they may, I would never give up on that son. Nor will you. Though the enemy seeks to destroy, I will not quit as I intercede, though it may take years. I give you my fears and tears as I trust every moment I plead. I prayed those prayers for eight years and seemed that God was not answering, answering them. But during those years, God did answer my prayers, just not in the way I expected. His answer for me was, wait, be still, and know that I am God. Looking, looking back upon those years, when I prayed for change, God did bring change. The change was not yet in Christopher. But the change was in me and my husband. What God intended to do at that time was that we will be changed, that we will be transformed, that we will be trophies of God's mercy. Oswald Chambers said, We are not here to prove God answers prayer. We are here to be living monuments of God's grace. As we live out those years of uh, Waiting, we learn to walk and live as monuments of His grace as God drew us to Himself each and every day. Often, answer to prayer doesn't come quickly, and this is not an exception. But my parents were unwavering in their faithfulness to intercede on my behalf. Like the persistent widow, my mother bombarded heaven with her prayers. She knew that it would take nothing short of a miracle to bring this prodigal son to the Father. And a miracle is exactly what God did. This miracle came with a bang on my door. I opened up my door, and on my front doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd dogs. I just received a large shipment of drugs, not my largest, but they confiscated all my money and my drugs, 
and I was charged with a street value equivalent of 9.1 tons of marijuana. With that amount, I was facing 10 years to life in federal prison. I had started with a bright future among society's finest in academia, and I found myself in the ditch among society's despised in the Atlanta City Detention Center. So I tried calling my friends. You know those type of friends that say, whenever you need something, just give me a call. Those friends that actually get me more into trouble than they were any good for me. Well, what I didn't realize was I had a praying mother at home. Watch out. And she knew as long as I had those type of friends around, I would find no need for God and no need for my parents. And remember, she loves bold prayers. Well, she prayed specifically years ago that somehow, way, God would cause all of those friends to desert me. And on that day, not one friend answered my collect call. So you mothers, beware of your prayers. They're going to come true. <laughs> so I was down to the bottom of the list home. And I didn't want to make that phone call, as I imagined the earful that I was going to get on the other line. But actually, my mother's first words were, son, are you okay? No condemnation, no berating words, just words of unconditional love and grace. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Notice that it doesn't say God's anger. It's not God's wrath, but it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And even on that miserable day, God was pouring out his grace and drawing me to himself through the words of my mother. Actually, my mom was excited to get that phone call, if you could believe it or not, because I hadn't called home in years. And she knew without a doubt that this was God's answer to her prayers. So as she hung up that phone, fighting back the tears, she knew she had to do just as that good old hymn says, count your blessings, name them one by one. No matter what storm she was going through, she had to count her blessings. So she set the phone down, and next to the phone was an atom machine, and she tore off a little piece of the atom machine tape, and she wrote down these first blessings. Christopher is in a safe place compared to before, and he called home for the very first time. As my years in prison passed, she kept adding to this list of blessings and counting her blessings and taping more pieces of atom machine tape to it. And today, this list of blessings is longer and taller than she is. Both sides. Three days later, I was walking around the cell block and I passed by this garbage can. And I looked at this trash. I thought to myself, that my life is just like this garbage. I'm from upper middle class suburb of Chicago. My father has two doctorates. I was three months away from receiving my own doctorate. I had it made. But now I found myself among common criminals. Trash. And with my head down, I was about to pass by this garbage can, but something on top of the trash caught my eye. I bent over, I picked it up, 
and it was a Gideon's New Testament. I took that New Testament back to my cell, and I opened up that good book for the first time. I read through the entire Gospel of Mark that night. But let me just tell you, I wasn't thinking that this is the Word of God or even that this is the answer to my problems. I was really thinking, I've got a lot of time on my hands, and I better pass it somehow. But as many of you know, what we have in our Bibles is not just ink on paper, but what we have in our Bibles, ladies and gentlemen, is the very breath of God. And it is living and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword, able to cut through the hardest of hearts, exposing my sin, my rebellion, and it wasn't a pretty sight. And I thought things couldn't get any worse. I was wrong. A couple weeks later, I was called into the nurse's office. They handcuffed me, chained my hands around my waist, shackled my feet together. I shuffled into the nurse's office. The nurse sat me down, and I knew something wasn't right. She was uncomfortably struggling with her words. So she resigned to writing something on a piece of paper and slowly slid it across the desk to me. I looked down at this piece of paper, and I saw three letters and a symbol. It read HIV positive. A few days before Christmas, I received Christopher's phone call from jail. The noise in the background could not cover up his sad and hopeless words. Mom, I am HIV positive. His sullen and weak voice trailed off as my body went limp. I felt dizzy and the world around me seemed to stop. Ever since Christopher told us he was gay, I had lived with this constant fear that Christopher might one day contract this deadly virus. My worst nightmare was now a reality. Christopher was sentenced to six years in federal prison but news of his HIV status was like a death sentence I could not accept. Hang up the phone, the pains of grief torn at my broken heart. Aimlessly, I stumble up the steps and I drag my heavy body into my prayer closet. Under the cross, I fell to my knees as stinging tears blurred my eyes. This affliction was more than I could bear. In the silence of my sorrow, a melody began to play in my heart. The soft and sweet stream of a hymn filled my ears and repeat over and over. It is well, it is well with my soul. When he's like a river attendeth my way, 
When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Please sing with us. It is well, it is well with my soul, with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. One more time. It is well, it is well. With my soul, with my soul, it is well. It is well with my soul. A few days after receiving that devastating news, I was lying in my bed. And I was looking up at the metal bunk above me, and I noticed someone had scribbled something, and it read, "If you're bored, read Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans that I have for you," declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You see, at the most hopeless point in my life, God was using the words written by a prophet thousands of years ago to a rebellious nation, Israel, to tell me that regardless of who I was and what I had done in the past, He still had a plan for me. I had no idea where this plan was going to take me, but God gave me enough faith, enough strength to get through that one day, and the next, and the next. My transformation was gradual, and God was convicting me of the dependencies in my life. The most obvious was drugs, but within a few months, God delivered me from that bondage of addiction. But the last thing that I was holding on to was my sexual identity. So I was reading through the Bible, and it was so clear to me that God loved me unconditionally. But I also came across the passages in the Bible that seemed to condemn that core part of who I thought I was, my sexuality. So I went to a chaplain, and I asked him his opinion on this issue. And to my surprise, this chaplain actually told me that the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. And he gave me a book explaining that view. So, with much curiosity, I took that book in the hopes of finding biblical justification for homosexuality. I had that book in one hand and the Bible in the other, and from a purely human perspective, I had every reason in the world to accept what that book is claiming to justify the way I had been living. But God's indwelling Holy Spirit convicted me. That those assertions from that book were a clear distortion of God, His Word, and His unmistakable condemnations against gay sex and relationships. I couldn't even finish that book 
and I gave it back to the chaplain. So I turned to the Bible alone. And I went through every verse, every chapter, every page of Scripture looking for any type of justification for homosexuality. I looked and I looked for anything, any type of even a positive affirmation for gay relationships. I went cover to cover several times. I had time. I looked and I looked and I looked and I couldn't find any. So I was at a turning point and a decision had to be made. Either abandon God and his word and live as a gay man and pursue a monogamous gay relationship by allowing my feelings to dictate who I was and how I lived, or abandon pursuing a monogamous gay relationship by liberating myself from my sexuality and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. My decision was clear and obvious. I followed Jesus. As the days and the weeks and the months of abstinence passed, I realized that my sexuality should not be the core of who I was. I told myself before, God loves me unconditionally, and that's true, but then I added to that, and I said, so therefore, God doesn't want me to change. But I realize now that unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. Let me say that again. Unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. My identity should not be defined just by my sexuality. My identity shouldn't be grounded in my feelings or my attractions. My identity is not gay, ex-gay, or even, get this, or even heterosexual for that matter. Because my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. God says, God says, be holy, for I am holy. I had thought that if I wanted to please this God of the Bible, I had to become straight. I had to become a heterosexual. But even people who have heterosexual feelings, they still struggle with sin. So therefore, that shouldn't be my goal. Besides, God never said, be heterosexual, for I am heterosexual. But neither did he say, be homosexual, for I am homosexual. Rather, God said, be holy, for I am holy. So I realized that the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality, but the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. As a matter of fact, the opposite of anything is holiness. I shouldn't focus upon what I feel or my attractions, but I needed to focus upon living a life of holiness and living a life of purity. Because change is not the absence of struggles, but change is the ability to be holy in the midst of our struggles. Because the ultimate issue is not what I'm struggling with. It's not my temptations or my desires, but the ultimate issue is that I yearn after God in total surrender and complete obedience. As I began to live this life of surrender and obedience, God began to reveal his plan for my life, and he called me to full-time ministry while I, I was in prison, of all places. 
And I realized that it didn't matter where I was, whether in prison or out of prison, because my calling on life would remain the same regardless of the location. And with that change of heart, God did another miracle, and he shortened my sentence from six years to three years, which is almost unheard of in the federal system. So with only about a year left of my prison sentence, I knew if I was going to continue on in ministry after prison, I'd better learn more about the Bible than just prison religion. So I called home collecting my parents, and I asked them to mail me an application to the only Bible college I had ever heard of, which is in our hometown, Chicago, called Moody Bible Institute. But then there was silence on the other line, because I think they both dropped their phones. <laughs> they mailed the application into me to prison, and I was so excited when I got it. I tore it open, began filling it out, till I got to the end of the application where they asked me for references. Not from anybody, but these had to be specifically people who knew me as a Christian for at least one year. The only people that knew me as a Christian for at least one year were people in prison. So I had some slim pickings, but I was able to persuade a prison chaplain, a prison guard, and another prison inmate to write my references to Moody. So amazingly, Moody actually accepted me. I was released from prison in July of 2001, and I started the very next month in August of 2001. So imagine the surprise of my classmates when I answered their question, what did you do this summer? <laughs> I graduated from Moody in 2005, and I went on to my Master's of Arts in Biblical Exegesis from Wheaton College Graduate School. I just received my Doctorate of Ministry from Bethel Seminary in St. Paul, and I just, um, 2011, co-authored a book with my mother called Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope. This is a two-generational book. My mother wrote chapter one, I wrote chapter two, she wrote chapter three, so she wrote all the odd chapters, I wrote the even chapters, so they're interwoven narratives with alternating chapters. Uh, there's a study guide in the back of every book, and we have learned that many Christian high schools are using our book as a textbook. And it makes sense because our children are being flooded with resources on sexuality that are not from God's view. And yet we have so few resources to give our children that show them what biblical sexuality looks like. Silence is no longer an option. We have to talk openly and frankly with our kids. Our children should hear about sex and sexuality at home. And I know that's difficult for Asian, Asian uh, community, Chinese community. It's very difficult to talk about sex and sexuality. But if we don't, I guarantee you the world will. So uh, people are using our book as this resource to help you know, talk to their kids about sex and sexuality. People sometimes, uh, grandmothers will go back to our table and get 12 books, and they say, because I have 12 grandchildren. <laughs> but God has given us back the years that the locusts have taken away. And my parents and I, we travel around the nation, around the world, talking about God's grace and God's truth as a two-generational ministry. And then as if that wasn't enough, God has a sense of humor, and he's brought me back full circle to Moody, where I'm now teaching in the Bible department. So I went from prisoner to professor. Only God can do that. But God has done far more abundantly beyond all that we have asked or thought. So how do we as Christians have a Christian response to homosexuality? 
How do we engage on this controversial, divisive issue of homosexuality? I mean, there's, we have not done well at engaging and we don't have a good reputation. As a matter of fact, the younger generation view us quite negatively when it comes to this issue of homosexuality. There's a book that's called Unchristian, written by David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons. And they looked at young Americans and how young Americans view the church. And we are viewed to be uh, confusing, not accepting, boring, insensitive, out of touch, too political, old-fashioned, hypocritical, judgmental, and guess what's at the very top? Anti-homosexual. Look at those percentages. 91% of those not raised in the church believe that we are anti-homosexual. That's a huge percentage. But what about our youth and young adults? Don't we teach them love the sinner, hate the sin? According to the survey, eight out of 10 of our own youth and young adults believe that we are anti-homosexual. And note that it doesn't say anti-homosexuality, the issue, but instead it says anti-homosexual, the person. So unfortunately, we are viewed to be against gay people. And that is wrong. The gospel is not against people. It's for people turning from their sins and turning to Jesus. But unfortunately, we are still perceived to be against gay people. And people's perception is their reality. So what can we do to be a place that is more Christian, and, and how can we do a better job at engaging not on just this issue of homosexuality, but how can we do a better job at sharing Christ to the gay community? Well, there's four things that I think that can be helpful to us. First of all, we need to make sure that we have the right attitude. Are we convicted about our own sin? Sometimes we have the reputation that we're busy pointing out other people's sin, but we aren't convicted about our own sin. As I lived as a gay man, I felt Christians were telling me that gays and lesbians deserved a hotter place in hell, that Jesus had to hang on the cross a little bit longer for gays and lesbians, but we know that that's not the truth. Homosexuality is not the worst sin, but we sometimes give the impression that it is one of the worst sins. And people will say, well, it's an abomination, but the Bible also talks about pride and jealousy as being an abomination. So let us view all our sin, especially our own sin, as just as bad in God's eyes. And I know for many that to think about homosexuality, you, it's uncomfortable. Two men together, two women together, and you think, oh, that's, that's unnatural. As if we can have natural sins and unnatural sins. It's all sin. Or we think, well, that's, that's just disgusting, to the point where we look down upon people in the gay community or even Christians who struggle. But I think that that feeling of disgust that some people might have should be a reminder for us that that is just a fraction of what God feels when he looks at our own sin. We need to be careful about being more disgusted about other people's sin than our sin. So our sin is just as bad, just as odious in God's eyes. Because when we have that conviction, that leads us to humility. And it is humility that leads people to Christ. Not a prideful, holier-than-thou attitude. So first, conviction. Conviction. 
Second, we need to be consistent in three ways. First, regarding relationships. And I know this is very important in our Asian context because we place a lot of value upon marriage, which is good, but now we have this imbalance as if marriage is better than singleness. And it's important to homosexuality because if we tell the gay community you need to walk away from gay relationships, or if we're walking with Christians who struggle with same-sex attractions, we tell them don't act upon those attractions. Well, what does that mean in reality? Be single for a period in your life, if not the rest of your life. And do we have a a healthy place for singles to thrive in Christian community? I think right now, Christian uh, singles often feel like second-class citizens. They feel that they don't feel uh, fit in. Singleness is almost equated to loneliness, but it's not equated to loneliness. I know some people who are married and they're still miserably lonely. So... Marriage is not the cure to loneliness. It's a relationship with the living God that's a cure to loneliness. But don't we give the impression that marriage is just bliss, it's happiness? You achieve that and you'll be so happy. You've succeeded in life. And if you haven't, oh, then they should be pitied. And, and so we view it like that. Um, and, and I think we have to lift up the beauty and gift of marriage. But I think we have done that at the expense of singleness. So singleness is a consolation prize. I'm so sorry you're single. I have a friend who was a missionary in China for five years, went there single, came back single. When she was back on furlough here in the U.S., she saw several of her friends, and they all asked her similar questions. Are you dating anyone? Do you have anyone special in your life? She's like, no, no, no. Do you know what some of her friends said to her? Can I pray for you? It was as if she had cancer. Singleness is not cancer. Singleness is not a curse. But we often give the impression of that. What does the Bible say about singleness? Paul spends an entire chapter in 1 Corinthians 7 saying that not only is singleness good, but he calls it a gift. We can all kind of agree. I mean, actually, most singles don't like that verse. They don't like people telling them that it's a gift. They say, I don't, I don't care what Paul says. I don't, I, I don't like this gift. What's the return policy on that gift? Can I give it back? You have that receipt? I don't want it. And I know singleness can be difficult. There are challenges. But there are also challenges with marriage. But there's blessings with marriage. There's blessing with singleness. We can all, all agree that marriage is a wonderful gift. But when it comes to singleness, we change it. And we don't say that it's a gift. We say it's a calling I mean, not anyone can be single. You have to either be Superman or Wonder Woman to be single, which I don't know if you've noticed, most superheroes are single. So what does that communicate? You have to have superhuman powers just to be single. But, uh, you know, most of my Christian friends are married, and they're happily married, and they tell me a secret. I'm, I'm single. I'm 44 years old. So they tell me a secret about marriage, and they tell me that marriage takes work. Giving of yourselves, loving unconditionally. And Paul tells men, your calling as a husband is to lay your life down for your wives. Amen, ladies? Amen? So I don't know what husband that doesn't struggle with that high, almost difficult calling. So do you know what I say jokingly? I say marriage, whew, that's a calling. Singleness, that's a gift. I don't have to lay my life down for anyone yet. But I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I'm simply saying as people who live 
of, of, in the new covenant, we see that marriage and singleness are the same. They're two sides of the same coin. We shouldn't emphasize one without emphasizing the other. Second, we need to be consistent regarding sexuality. I think in our culture, especially in our Christian culture, uh, we have elevated heterosexuality to be the norm, as if that is God's standard. Sometimes we even hear people say that heterosexuality is promoted in the Bible. The Bible promotes heterosexuality. But you know, that term heterosexuality is a man-made secular term. It's not a biblical category. Heterosexuality means being attracted to the opposite sex or being sexually intimate with the opposite sex. And that broad definition has many things the Bible clearly condemns. Adultery, fornication, lust. So that should not be something that we hold as God's standard. And it's not homosexuality either. Then what is God's standard for sexuality? Holy sexuality. And what is holy sexuality? As I read through the full counsel of God, there are only two options for us all to live out our sexuality. First, if you're married, complete faithfulness to your spouse of the opposite sex. Or if you're single, complete faithfulness through abstinence. Only two options. And I didn't have a term for those. And what I like about that is this applies to all of us, no matter if you're a man or woman, if you have heterosexual feelings or homosexual feelings, all of us need to pursue holiness. Third, we need to be consistent regarding change. Because what does change look like? Does it mean going from gay to straight, like that's the goal? Or does it even mean working on getting rid of your temptations? Because if that were the case, do we apply that to other issues? Say, drinking, getting drunk, alcoholism. Say I have a friend who was a drunk for many years, comes to Christ, and he's able to stop drinking through the power of the Holy Spirit. Many years later, he admits he still has the urges, the temptation to drink, but he doesn't. Would we then tell him, you have not been changed? We need to lay some hands on you. You need some deliverance. No, God's grace is more evident in his life because he says no to his flesh and says yes to God. So change, it is not the absence of struggles, but change is the freedom to choose holiness in the midst of our struggles. So we need to be convicted, we need to be consistent in three ways, in relationships, sexuality, and change. And then third, we must be compassionate. I've been teaching at Moody for eight years, and every semester I have students that share with me that they experience same-sex attractions. Often they say things like, I hate myself. I wish I was never born. Often they haven't told anyone, their friends, their parents, their pastors. A few suffer with depression and even thoughts of suicide. That should move us. That we have Christians who feel that they can't share this struggle with the rest of us. So for some, this could be an issue between life and death. So what can we do to be a safer, more compassionate place? First, Expect that this is present in the body of Christ. In our small groups, even in our pews, you never know. Not be surprised. And some, sometimes people say, wow, I'm so surprised that my good friend struggled with same-sex attractions. He came from a good home and he had Christian parents. Wait a second. So if someone comes from a good home and has Christian parents, does that exempt them from struggling with sin? Does it? 
Of course not. I mean, I'll give you guys a little bit of a surprise here. Some of us here actually struggle with sin. I'm not going to point you out. Some of us struggle with sin, right? We all struggle with sin. What's the body of Christ? Are we a group of people who just have no problems, don't have any sin, don't struggle with sin? We meet once a week, we hold hands, and we sing Kumbaya. Or are we a group of people who are broken and needy and we know we desperately need Jesus? I'll be honest with you. I am broken and I need Jesus. Anyone else out there that, that relates to that? And so let us all hand in hand walk together to him. Not because I have all the answers, but I know someone who does. And his name is Jesus. So first and foremost, just expect that this is present here. Second, do we know our position And it must be more than simply, it's a sin, don't do it. We must go deeper. What's our ultimate goal? I'll tell you our ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal is to lead people into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ so that people are willing to surrender everything, including their sexuality. Deeper relationship with Jesus, and it's about full surrender. That applies to all of us in any situation. Third, maybe you have a friend and you've always wondered whether they struggle with this. And they're Christian and you want to let them know that you want to walk with them. So how do you ask them? How do you bring it up? Don't. Imagine if just someone asked you just out of the blue, are you gay? That's awkward, okay? That wouldn't be anything that would be, you know, positive. But instead, you can give assurance of your friendship. Tell them, I thank God for you. I just want you to know, anything you say or do won't change our friendship. That creates a safe place and invites them in. Fourth, let us as Christians be more conscious and proactive in stopping the bullying and stopping gay jokes. And we might think, well, homosexuality is a sin, so what's wrong about saying a gay joke? But it's also a sin to make fun of other people. Besides, People are created in God's image. And if someone else is making fun of other people, we should stand up for their own dignity as created in God's image. So instead of saying, that's so gay, you know, our kids often say, that's so gay, that's so gay. Let's encourage them to increase their vocabulary. How about instead of saying, that's so gay, how about, that's so Baptist, or that's so Presbyterian? You know, I mean, you can add in your uh, modifier. So convicted, Consistent, compassionate, and then fourth, we must be complete. And this is complete in our message. We are Christians and we focus upon God's truth because it's the truth that sets us free. So what is God's truth when it comes to gay sex and relationships? Oh, that's easy, people will say. It's a sin, which is true. But you know, unfortunately, most people, they put a period after that sentence and they say nothing more. And that's equivalent to giving someone a one spiritual law tract. Have you heard of the four spiritual laws? Well, this is the one spiritual law that goes something like this. You're a sinner and you're going to hell. Sorry. In case you didn't know, that's not good news. That's bad news. But that's the message we have been giving to the gay community. You're a sinner. You're going to hell. There's no hope for you. It's no wonder why gays and lesbians want nothing to do with Christians because we haven't been giving them the good news. We have been giving them the bad news. We have not been telling them the complete truth. We have been telling them an incomplete truth. And telling someone an incomplete truth can be just as harmful as telling someone a lie. So what is the complete truth? 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? After that, he lists 10 sins. And in this list of 10 sins are two words in Greek that focus upon homosexual practice. So sometimes people look at that list and say, look, gays and lesbians won't inherit the kingdom of God. And when we do that, we conveniently forget about the eight other sins. Because if we look at all 10 sins, none of us should inherit the kingdom of God. Bad news. But I'm so glad Paul didn't stop there. He didn't put a period at the end of that sentence and say nothing more. He goes on to say in verse 11 of chapter 6, such were. Did you catch that? Such were, past tense, some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. That is not good news. That's amazing news. That is news that we can declare from the rooftop to the gay community, straight community, to any community that needs to know about Jesus Christ. So our message must be redemptive. It has to focus upon the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that you can be washed, you can be sanctified, you can be justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. So how do we do that in practical ways in our lives right now with our friends and loved ones in the gay community? How do we do that with our Christian friends who struggle with same-sex attractions and want to follow God? How do we minister to them and walk with them? Well, let me give you some practical things. So two groups, Christians who struggle with same-sex attractions, how do we minister with them? That's mentoring discipleship. Second group, those that are in the gay community, how do we share Christ to them? First, let's talk about Christians with same-sex attractions. Say after this weekend, you actually have a friend that opens up to you about their struggle. What do you say or do? First, thank them. Do you know how hard it is to open up to another Christian on this issue of homosexuality, especially another Asian Christian? It's not easy. But they trusted you. Thank them. Second, tell them that they're not alone. Very often, Christians who struggle with same-sex attractions think that they're all alone, that no one will ever understand them. And I know, I'm Chinese, and I know in Chinese churches, we have many people who have struggled for years with same-sex attractions, and they feel like they can't open up to anyone because they think this is one of those sins that no one else will understand. Can you imagine walking as a Christian without another Christian to walk with you through your struggles? how hard that is. I also know in, in some Chinese churches, we have some parents who their children, when they became adults, walked away from God and they're living as gays and lesbians. And they are afraid to share with another parent. Their other best friends, they're a Christian. We have to let people know you aren't alone. You're no different than me. We're all broken. Third, help remind them that their identity needs to be in Christ. Our sexuality can be very overwhelming. You know, what we think, what we feel, but remember, no matter what we think, no matter what we feel, no matter what our attractions, those never define us. Christ must define us. And that needs to be the most important thing, and that applies to everyone. Let Christ define you, not what you feel, not even what you think, but Christ is our rock. He is our identity. Fourth, 
Let us be realistic. Don't give these false promises. Oh, pray more, read the Bible more, and you could pray away the gay. No, we don't pray away our problems. We pray and, and, and fast and read the Bible so that when prob- problems do come, we are faithful and strong in Christ to remain faithful to God. Fifth, don't focus on the outside and the externals. Sometimes as Christians, we want to focus so much and change people's mannerisms. But I want to see change from the inside out, not from the outside in, and God changes us from the inside out. Sixth, encourage God-honoring same-sex friendships. Uh, Encourage uh, God-honoring same-sex friendships. These are, what I needed most are close friendships with men. I needed to see how men loved one another in God-honoring non-sexual ways. Homosexuality, it's a legitimate need. Intimacy with the same sex, that's a legitimate need. It's only fulfilled in an illegitimate way. I think many sins are a legitimate need fulfilled in an illegitimate way. So let us encourage the healthy, godly relationships that are close and intimate, but non-sexual, non-codependent. So then how do we share Christ with the gay community? This is what we should not do. Let me tell you, you should not do first. Do not compare this to an addiction, pedophilia, murder. That's not a good way to try to win someone to Christ. Second, don't use these two words, lifestyle and choice. This is very important. If you have a burden to share Christ with your unbelieving friends, if you have a burden to share Christ with the gay community, don't use these two words with them. Because for many in the gay community, those words are offensive. And I'll tell you why. Because it minimizes their experience. Because for them, this is not their sexuality. For me, I did not view this years ago as I lived as a gay man as my lifestyle. I viewed it as who I am. And that's the core thing. See, as Christians, we want to come at it as an immorality issue. But when you don't have Jesus in your life, when you don't have the Holy Spirit that has given you a regenerate heart, God's morals don't make sense. And so if we keep coming at that, they don't understand it. But we can come at it through identity. Who are you? And if they get the identity in Christ right, everything else will take care of itself. Third, don't use this phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. I mean, that's what, how we treat other people, but you don't have to tell them that. Because if we tell people, I love you, but I hate your sin, they don't feel loved. Just do it. Don't tell them. Fourth, do not feel that we have to debate with people. Did you notice that Jesus did not answer every question he was asked? Or sometimes when people asked him a question, he would answer with a different question, a more important question. And what's more important with unbelievers is first, we need to build a relationship and trust. Why? Because it's in relationship that we can share the gospel. If you don't have a relationship with someone, you can't share the gospel with them. So I think we need to just know when is the right time to speak truth. I'm not saying don't speak truth. I'm just saying when is the right time. Jesus, he sometimes spoke in parables to the crowds. But when he was with the disciples because they had an open heart and they were teachable, he spoke openly and plainly. We just have to have discernment when is the right time. That what what should we do? We need to pray. We must pray and fast. 
I'm honored to speak at this Korean church. And I know that Chinese churches, American churches, we need to learn from Korean churches on how you pray. Let us also add to our prayer lists the gay community. Because there are many in the gay community where no one's praying for them. No one. I see the gay community as one of the most unreached people groups in the world. Who is going to share the gospel into the gay community? Will it be you? Listen. Listen to our friends because often speaking, we should not speak first, but we need to listen first. And it's when we listen that people sense that we care. Third, be intentional. You have permission to go across the street and invite your gay neighbor over for dinner. But be, be, be ready that people will probably ask you, what are you doing eating with that sinner? But isn't that what the Pharisees said to Jesus? Oh, wait, but if I have someone in my home and he's, my, and he's gay, am I condoning his sin? Well, last time I checked, we usually have sinners over for dinner. So there shouldn't be much different, but we're building relationships so we can share the gospel. Fourth, be patient and persistent. It's going to take time. And then lastly, be transparent. Share what the gospel has done in your life. Because I know it's not easy sharing the gospel with people who are closed to God. But you can share what God has done in your life lately. We shouldn't be the same as we were 10 years ago, 10 months ago, or even 10 years ago. We sh- God should be continually transforming us and share with that. You know, I would never have considered the gospel if I didn't see the gospel lived out in my parents' lives. I wouldn't have picked up that Bible from the trash can if I saw the Bible, if I didn't see the Bible lived out in my father's life and in my mother's life. I did not leave pursuing gay relationships because I thought they were so bad. I left it because I found something better in his name. Is Jesus. Our job as followers of Christ is to show a dying world out there that no matter what they're holding on to, all the fool's gold in the world, whether it's a job, a career, whether it's family or a spouse, no matter what they're holding on to, not only is Jesus better, but Jesus is best. So Can we, as the body of Christ, show to the world, show to our community, show to our coworkers and our friends and our family that no matter what you're holding on to, I can tell you that Jesus is best. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you that you are good. We thank you, Lord God, that you have given us your son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, and we do not deserve that. Help us, O God, help us to be the light of Christ in this dark world, this world that thinks that they don't need you, God, this world that thinks that they are not broken. Help us, Lord, to reflect through our own lives that you love the sinner that you love the gay community and you desire them to come to you and be transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit just as we have been transformed. God, we praise you. Help us to be a community that shares the gospel at every cost. Help us to be a community that 
ushers in the revival that this land so desperately needs, oh God. Lord, I pray that we would commit ourselves daily, beginning today, to pray for the gay community, Lord God. Lord, we pray for our country, and we look at what's going on in the Supreme Court, and we realize that the only way that a country can be changed, the only way that the culture can be changed, is through people turning their lives over to Jesus Christ. So we pray for that, God. God, we pray for that. Oh God, change the hearts of men and women here in California, here in the U.S., in the world, in Korea, in Asia, in China, Lord God, that we would be a light to show others that there is hope, there is life, there is truth in you. God, we praise you, we thank you, and we ask this in the powerful, matchless name of Jesus, the Messiah. And the people of God said, amen. Thank you for your message. After the service, as you go out uh, lobby, in the lobby, the books are available if you'd like to pick it up. 우리 엄마와 아들이 쓴 책입니다. 원하신 분들 나가셔서 우리 또 사인 받으시고 책을 자녀들 위해서 구입하시기 바라겠습니다. 우리 같이 찬양하겠습니다. 찬양 하나고 같이 잠시 기도하고 오늘 모든 예배를 마치도록 하겠습니다. 나의 마음을 정근과 같이. 정금과 같이 정금과 같이 하소서 내 영혼에 한 소망이 주님과 같이 거룩하게 하소서 주님과 Purify my heart. Purify my heart. Let me be as gold and precious silver. Purify my heart. Let me be as gold. Let me be as gold. Sing it together, Refiner's Fire. Refiner's Fire. My heart's one desire is 
to be holy. Is to be holy. Set apart for you, Lord. I choose to be holy. Set apart. Shall we pray together? God has spoken to us through His servants that we will be holy, just as He is holy. 우리 하나님께서 한 가족을 통해서 우리에게 말씀하셨습니다. 내가 거룩하니 너희도 거룩하라 우리가 예수 그리스도 안에서 거룩하게 살때이 성적인 그 정체성을 확실하게 가지고 살수 있는 줄 믿습니다 As we live a life of holiness that God would give us the true sexual identity So let's pray for ourselves that we will be holy Before the Lord, and secondly, would you pray for the Supreme Court because they had the hearing this week, and they will finalize the decision on June of this year regarding gay and lesbian marriages. 우리 대법원을 위해서 기도할 때 6월달에 동성 결혼에 대한 최종 결정을 내리는데 저들이 하나님을 두려워하고 하나님 앞에서 바른 결정을 내릴 수 있도록 하나님의 은혜 베풀어 달라 이두 가지를 위해서 우리가 한번 합심으로 간절히 기도하겠습니다 기도하겠습니다 하나님 아버지 우리 자신을 주님께 올려드립니다 주님이 거룩한 것처럼 거룩하기 원합니다 아버지 하나님 우리가 이성주의든 동성주의든 아버지 하나님의 그삶 속에서 예수 그리스도 안에서 거룩해 되길 원합니다 예수 그리스도를 만나고 우리의 길이 되고 진리가 되시 생명이 주님을 온전히 만나서 우리 삶이 변화되어서 하나님의 온전한 자녀들 놀란 역사에 있도록 도와주시길 간절히 바라고 원합니다 우리 마음에 정지하는 마음 없도록 도우시고 판단하는 마음 없도록 도우시고 예수의 사랑을 품을 수 도우시고 진리를 타협하지 않고 하나님의 사랑 영혼들을 사랑하는 귀한 역사들이 있도록 은혜를 베풀어 주시길 간절히 바라고 원합니다 성령께서 역사하시고 특별히 6월달에 있는 아버지 대법원 아버지 하나님 최종 결정에 함께하시고 대법원 아버지 뭐 결정이 아버지 다음 세대 또 미국 사회에 또전 세계에 얼마나 큰 영향을 미칠지 저희는 잘 알고 있습니다 저들의 하나님을 두려워하는 마음 주시고 하나님 바른 결정 내릴 수 있도록 은혜를 베푸시고 이래 아버지 안에 함께 기도하여 주님의 뜻을 이루 우리 모두 될수 있도록 역사하여 주시옵소서 Father God, we want to lift up all of us unto you, Lord. Thank you for 
Christopher's mom, Angela Yuan, who was willing to go through pain to embrace her prodigal son. Prayer and fasting that she would be able to not only restore the relationship with her son, but also restore the relationship between her son and God. Thank you for her living example. Thank you for giving her that compassionate heart to embrace her son and kneel down before you to pray on behalf of her son's well-being. Father, I want to lift all the parents this morning. Would you bless them? May they be a father of prayer and mother of prayer. They will pray for their children day and night so that through their prayer, their sons and daughters would be holy just as our Lord Jesus Christ is holy. Make us holy, Lord. Refine us as a pure gold before your sight. And make us a powerful witness for Jesus Christ in this generation. We want to pray for the Supreme Court judgment coming up on June. Would you touch the nine Supreme Court judges? May they honor you. May they fear you in such way that they would make the right decision that will affect not only this country, but also throughout the world. Father, protect our children. May they walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Give them undivided attention to you, undivided devotion to you. Give them a God-given conviction about their sexuality. May they walk with you as a man of God and woman of God in this generation. 하나님 우리의 부모 세대를 주님께 올려드립니다. 우리 크리스토퍼 그 어머니가 아들을 위해서 기도했던 것처럼 기도하는 부모 세대들도 도와주시고 자녀들을 끌어안고 기도하게 하시고 자녀들의 그 영적인 웰빙을 위해서 인생을 위해서 기도하는 부모 세대에서 은혜 베풀어 주시길 바라고 원합니다. 거룩하게 살수 있도록 부모 세대 자녀들을 붙잡아 주시고 하나님 앞에서 거룩한 하나님의 백성으로 살수 있도록 은혜를 내려 주시옵소서 6월 달에는 대법원 판결에 함께하여 주시고 저도 하나님을 두려워하는 마음 주시고 바른 결정 내릴 수 있도록 역사하여 주시옵소서 이 모든 기도를 예수 그리스도의 이름으로 기도드리옵나이다. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 우리 하나님의 영화 박수 올려드리겠습니다. 오늘 모든 예배를 마치겠습니다.